Did you not think that camera was going to pan down and you were thinking, oh. wondering <laughs> what was actually going to be there? That was the biggest surprise to me. Not that he retired, but that the camera didn't pan down to whatever he was wearing or not wearing. Okay, I think this is going to be a quick podcast because Elliot's in Edmonton and I believe he's going to party with Nickelback as soon as this podcast is done. So Elliot will hustle things along for you. Welcome to 32 Thoughts, the podcast presented by the new GMC Sierra HD Merrick alongside the, did I mention, soon to be partying with Nickelback, Elliot Friedman. How was those guys? Your- those guys are not <laughs> hanging around with me, to be honest. You know what I'm doing right now? What are you doing? I am sitting in my hotel room doing this yes. podcast post game, and right. I am in nothing but my long underwear. Oh, Picture that. The sexiest image in all of your minds today. Oh, how do you you take a brain shower? How is that possible? (laughs) Let's just think about that for a second. As as one of my buddies would say after something that he didn't like, he would say, excuse me, I have to go drink some Clorox. That would be his line. (laughs) I've got to go bleach my brain now. Um, so I could not think about that. Okay, Heritage Classic has come and gone. Uh, Connor McDavid returns. The Oilers win 5-2. to two. We'll drill down on some of the specifics involved in it, but here's my overarching big-picture question for all of it, Elliot. Was it a bigger win for Edmonton or a bigger loss for Calgary? What was that? Oh, boy. You know, that's a great question, Jeff. It, it really is. I think when things are going poorly, you know, we're negative. Like, that's what the media is. We're just negative. So, what do you do? Uh, <laughs> I think in a situation like this, you tend to look at the team, especially considering the way these two teams came in. I think you tend to the, look at the team that got defeated. And I think that the big concern to me in this one was it just took Calgary a long time to get going. Shots were 22 to 7 at one point. The fact that I asked the Sportsnet stats people, what's the biggest shot differential in an outdoor game? Because at that point, Edmonton was on pace to outshoot them by 25. The answer, by the way, is 17 in Calgary, kind of even the scales a bit, so we didn't get there. But did you see our interview with Paul Coffey before the game? I did. I thought he was excellent. I really like that. He was excellent. And he basically admitted that yesterday there was a big meeting among the Oilers, and Ken Holland spoke, and, and he spoke. Listen, I said to the players yesterday, Kenny talked to him. I got a chance to talk to him as well, and coaches were in the room, which was great. And I said, the one thing the coaches control is your ice time. The one thing you guys control is how hard you work. I mean, that's that's on you. I mean, it's uh, it's not an easy button to push. It's uh, It's a great game. It's not for everybody, and not everybody can play it. These kids are lucky, and uh, I mean, where do you want to start? But there's, there's a lot of stuff, but they'll be great this afternoon. You know, the one thing about Paul Coffey is I don't know if everybody's really aware of this because it's not like his name is on the Euler masthead, but Paul Coffey has a pretty big voice inside the organization, and he's not afraid to say what's on his mind. It's actually one of the things I really like in dealing with him if you ask him a question you're going to get an answer and so holland spoke and he spoke and i'm sure others spoke but it was basically edmonton's okay it's been three weeks enough of this bleep let's go let's get ourselves going and let's play better and you know they came out and they did it and i'm sure there was a lot of talk about internally among the flames too about they have to play better but, you know, if they would have come out and they would have lost, say, a 4-3 game where it was even, it was back and forth, I think you'd say, all right, they just got beat and that can happen. The, you know, the way that Edmonton came out, owned this game for about the first 30 minutes, if you're a Flame and you're their fans, you, you just you just don't like that. It was It was a big game against your most hated rival, and it took you a long time to get going. And I'll say the other thing, Jeff. Like that one line, the the sound up with Evander Kane, where oh, he's basically what's anybody going to do? What's anybody <laughs> going to do it? What are you going to do? What is anybody here going to do? You know, that's that's him basically challenging. Not basically. No, that's not, him no, challenging that your manhood. Everybody, everybody. What is anybody going to do? 
Yeah. Anybody. What is anybody going to do? That's that old clip of John Winston going to the Minnesota North Stars bench and doing a T-stop and saying, okay, does anybody want some of this? Anybody. Send anybody over the boards. And the thing is, is that there's two ways I think you can respond to that. You can fight someone like Evander Kane, or you can say, that's it. We're taking over this game. Like To me, either one of those things is a proper reaction. And... You know, Jeff, like, I think there's just an overall feeling around the flames right now that we've got to think about some big decisions here. Like, you know, one of the things that's happened a couple of weeks ago, I reported that, you know, Hannafin, the, the talks were getting closer. And then I talked on the pod last Monday, a week ago today, how people would be surprised that it wouldn't happen. Well, I can tell you coming into this weekend, now we're starting to get a little bit of a hang on here a second feeling. And those were pretty far along. I just think that everybody right now is taking a deep breath and a long look at what the start of this season could mean for the Calgary Flames. Well, what did we talk about? Was it one podcast ago, two podcasts ago? They all run together at this point. <laughs> how many How many of these Calgary Flames players who are on expiring contracts, you could throw Tanev into that, Chris Tanev into that equation as well. Nikita Zadorov, um, Lindholm is the biggie, right? We're all waiting on Lindholm too. What's his decision going to be? Is uh, you know, what's the Michael Backlund contract going to act as a magnet for a lot of these other guys? And what do we talk about? Is this now a wait and see group of unrestricted free agents? I thought it would be Hannafin signs and then wait and see. Now I'm not even sure about that. Like again, like. It still could happen. You know, I just had some people say to me around this, I just think that the way this season has started, I just think there's a little bit of uncertainty there now. Mm-hmm. I, I always hate asking about mood uh, when you're not there on a consistent day in and day out basis. So maybe Kelly Rudy uh, is better to answer this question. But in the couple of days you've been to Edmonton, and I'll ask you about the Oilers in a second, but been around the Calgary Flames. What's the mood? even though it's only been a couple of days for you around them? Well, I think the thing is, is that on Saturday, everybody was in a great mood. It was excellent. Uh, I think people really wanted to enjoy the weekend. You know, a lot of families were there, obviously. The one thing I think about this, especially when you're losing, I think everybody really enjoyed the outdoor skate on Saturday. And I think they enjoyed skating with their families on Saturday. What this game is supposed to do is break up the drudgery of the season. Now, normally you don't see this game come this early, but I think in a lot of ways, you know, we taped our last podcast Thursday night as both of these teams were getting booed off the ice by their home fans. That's how bad it was. That's how negative the vibes were. And suddenly you come in here on Saturday and you get an outdoor skate, you get to skate with your family that should be a tension breaker. That should be something that makes you feel, ah, now I feel I feel good about myself. Well, you know, here we are now, and Edmonton feels really good about themselves after that game. McDavid was back. Uh, it was great to see. It, it immediately added another level of just enjoyment for everybody who was at the game. The Oilers looked much, much better. You know, the Flames, again, like they scored a couple. Like the guy I really feel for is Markstrom. That's the guy I really feel for because he is battling. He is holding up his end of the bargain. But, you know, around him, it's just not there. And, you know, Ryan Huska was asked about his his big line after the game, that Huberto Cadre Coronado line. Basically, he said we didn't get much from it. And I just think this Calgary team, you know, they're second last in the West. We're coming up to November 1st. I think you have a chance to refresh yourself a bit here. It's not easy. You don't want to move on from good players. But if it's not working, it's not working. And, you know, the way this is going might make the decisions for Calgary instead of Calgary making the decisions for itself. 
Okay, meanwhile, on the other end of the rink, the victorious end of the rink, the, the team that scored the five goals, not the two, uh, the Oilers. Connor McDavid returns. was nice watching him and Leon Dreisaitl find lanes and find each other. It's just remarkable watching those two play amongst one another. You've already referenced Evander Kane, who had a really strong game uh, physically, verbally, on the game sheet, almost had the goal that went to Vincent D'Arnais and then got the goal that made it 5-2 in the empty net. Your thoughts on, I mean, the the, the Bush bomb started trending uh, on Twitter after Evan Bouchard made a 3-1 to after Kadri cut the lead in half to 2-1. to Who would you like to pull out of this fray, Elliot? Who on Edmonton stood out for you? Well, obviously, McDavid always does. I thought Dreisaitl was great. I thought Kane was great. I thought Skinner was very good. Eckholm got walked on one play by Uyghur. That one kind of threw me for a while. That, that one, was a heck of a rush. I, that was a, that was a that was a great, uh, great move. Uh, I I just think you know to me Edmonton took their deep breath, and we'll see now. They stopped the bleeding, and we're gonna find out if this is a one game blip, or it's for real, and that's what we're all waiting to see. You know, I have to tell you, I was talking to one guy on the weekend and he was like, at the beginning of the year, you guys were slobbering all over Edmonton, just slobbering all over them. And he joked with me, he says, I can't even believe they didn't go 82-0 and listening to you guys. <laughs> it was kind of funny. I was getting a really good laugh out of it. Uh... And, you know, they've had a bad streak to start the year. This is their chance to flush and refresh. And, you know, Hyman said on Saturday, we know we're a good team. We just have to do it. Let's see. Let's see if this is the first game of the rest of their season. Was there any talk, because when it comes to outdoor games, we always wonder about this. Was there any talk about the quality of the ice? Craig Simpson mentioned after the game that the ice was good. How much talk was there around the ice? Not a lot. Put it this way, it was a lot better than the first game 20 years ago here. <laughs> I was going to say, you're a little bit warmer this time around too, Elliot. No. You know, the one thing you have to remember is that if this game doesn't work 20 years ago here, then we don't have any more of these. When I step into Commonwealth Stadium, that's what I think of. But it wasn't as cold. They've learned so much about life since that first game. It was a really, really fun game experience and to be honest i know they were worried about the sun a little bit but to me the game is better in the later afternoon than it is at night mm -hmm. later afternoon for me is the best time i was surprised at how many flames jerseys were there but it was a fun fun day i loved it and this is the 18th one i've been to jeff and every time the game starts the fans get let into the building whatever negative feelings I have or whatever cynical feelings I have, they go away. The fans have a great time and they drag you with them. Do you think that the um, the original one, the Commonwealth, Montreal, Edmonton game was more important than the Buffalo-Pittsburgh game? I think that was more important because it, it gave everybody the template. The mm -hmm. Buffalo-Pittsburgh one gave you the idea that it could work somewhere other than Canada. Although Buffalo is practically Canada. They're honorary Canadians. Sabres fans love hearing that. Well, you know, I want You're them basically to bring Canada. The, <laughs> I, I want them to bring the chicken wings in with them. Oh, very good. Oh, very good. From there, let's get to a couple of other issues around the NHL this weekend. Uh, the fallout from the Shane Pinto situation with the Ottawa Senators. We do have some emails, voicemails coming up where we'll cover a little bit more in detail um, some of the questions around Shane Pinto, but what is the latest in Ottawa now? Because the Dodonov situation has entered the chat. Yeah, so I, I have to say this. There is something that's going to happen here, and I don't know what it is. Apparently, and to be honest, I haven't seen it. Someone told me about it. I haven't seen it. But someone told me that there was something flying around the internet that Ottawa was going to get penalized a first-round pick. So for people who don't remember, at the 2022 deadline, the Vegas Golden Knights tried to trade Evgeny Dodonov to Anaheim. And Dodonov and his agent argued 
that he had Anaheim on his no trade and they couldn't trade him there. And Vegas said, there's no no trade. We can do whatever we want. And it turned out that when he was traded from Ottawa to the Golden Knights, Vegas asked, is there any no trade list that we have to be aware of? And they were told, no, there's no no trade list. And the agent fought it and said, yes, there is. And it turned out that the agent, Rick Comoro, he was right, that he had proof that he had sent in his list of teams and that a mistake was made when he was traded from the Senators to the Golden Knights. Well, so, you know, they didn't end up trading him to Anaheim. And Dodonov played really well after the deadline for them, actually, before he ended up getting traded later to Montreal. But the Golden Knights, and I blame you for this, Merrick. This is your fault. <laughs> Me? Yes. Oh, I have okay. been told that this is your fault. Oh, wonderful. Because how is you... That, how is this my fault? Oh, I'm going to explain, just so you All know. Right. I'm going to explain. Okay. Okay, because you're the one who always goes on this podcast and calls them ruthless. And, That's a compliment, uh, by the way. <laughs> I don't I think, know. I think of that as a compliment, by the way. I'm the one who accuses them of tampering with exercise bikes. You're the one <laughs> who calls them ruthless. Anyway, okay. Vegas was was upset about this. And, you know, at the time, I think we got it right, which is rare, but I think we got it right said that it was a, a mistake on Ottawa's part, and this one was not on the Golden Knights. But the Golden Knights were, you know, very... They wanted it made very clear that this one was not their fault because of some of the challenging and difficult decisions that they've made in the past, which teams do have to make. They kind of had this reputation, and it bothered them. And they said, you know what? We feel that we make difficult decisions, but we also do good things by our players. And, you know, there's a group of them that are pretty happy there. They won the Stanley Cup there. Whatever the case is, Vegas pushed it. You know, they said, we want it made very clear that this one was not on us. And at some point this week, I believe, there's going to come out a ruling on this that is going to exonerate Vegas and have some kind of penalty on the Senators. And I will say this, I've had multiple people tell me that this is all going to happen. And I had some people say to me, they're surprised it hasn't happened already. And I personally wondered if, if this was going to happen, it should happen right away at the same time as Pinto, because why don't you just rip off the Band-Aid? You know, if you're going to get whatever... Just do it all at the same time. Rip off the Band-Aid. But I'll be honest with you, Jeff. I have no idea what this penalty is going to be. No one will tell me. I don't know that it's a draft pick. I don't know that it's a fine. I don't know what it is. But the one thing I am sure of is there's something that's going to be announced. And it's going to be made very clear that Vegas was not responsible for what happened. My gut tells me and i may be way off and this is what the internet was made for telling people like me that i was way off yeah my thought on this one is whatever comes out punishment wise will be light and you know why i say that because of josh harris and david blitzer when they bought the new jersey devils there was the Ilya kovalchuk cap circumvention penalties still in place yes i agree the new with jersey this. devils and when they bought the team the first round pick did not need to be forfeited the three million dollar fine i believe was knocked in half i could be wrong on that and i think what did remain though is they had to forfeit a third so it went from a first a third and three million dollars i think to 1.5 million and the third round pick. That's because there was new ownership, much like there is now in Ottawa. That's why if I'm guessing, and isn't that fun to do here on a Monday morning podcast, if I'm guessing what type of punishment it's gonna be, my instinct says it'll be light because of new ownership. Well, look, man, first of all, there's this thing called the internet that you can check these things. 
And number one, yes, the fine was dropped to a million and a half. And secondly, they were given the 30th pick in the draft and also not eligible for the lottery if they didn't make the playoffs. They were also told they couldn't make the trade. So, yes, you are right. And I tend to agree with you. The thing I look at for this is this is a new owner that the league is very happy to have moving from a minority partner in Montreal to a majority owner in Ottawa. I don't get the idea of giving up a first round pick. Like to me, that's, I mean, I, that's harsh. Could it be (laughs) true? Yeah. But to me, I, I would be shocked if that happened because it didn't happen to this owner. Like he was not in charge of the team at the time. And so, yeah, like I, I look at it as, do you want to make it clear that this is what happened? Yes. Do you want to put guardrails in place that this shouldn't happen again? Yes. A huge penalty to a new owner of the team? Jeff, I, I am with you 100%. I don't agree with that. But you know what? I don't blame Vegas one bit for saying we want it clear that this one was not on us. I get that. I get that. Okay, I uh, let's bounce around a couple of things here uh, sure. around the NHL. Uh, one, I have a stat for you. Okay. 21-11-5 is the regular season record the New York Islanders since the Bo Horvat trade. Okay. And every time we want to write off the Islanders, much like... <laughs> Much like in a monster movie when you kill the monster, but, you know, his hand still follows you because he refuses to die. The New York Islanders continue to win. Now you can say it's all in the backs of the goaltending, and I think we all agree that Ilya Sorokin is maybe the most underpaid player in the entire NHL for what he's doing with the Islanders. Well, he just got a big extension. Still, considering what he's doing with this new under, don't you think? Discuss amongst yourselves. Simeon Varlamov. Uh, as well uh, of the weekend, has shutout against the Columbus Blue Jackets. He now has four shutouts against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Noah Dobson's playing 25 minutes a night and looks fantastic. And don't look now, but should we once again start to have that soap and warm water feeling for the New York Islanders? Jeff. We are seven games into the season. I guess it's better than the alternative. You're talking about blowing up the flames. You're talking about yeah, bodies out the door and stop contract that, negotiations. But that's but that's different. I think it's it's different when you're losing <laughs> as opposed to you're winning. I mean, I like it. Uh, I, I like it a lot. To me, the big one is Dobson because he kind of had a bit of a weird season last year. And if he's back to being the guy he showed a couple years ago, it's a great, great sign for them. But, you know, to me, it's still really early. I take a look at that division, though. That Metro, that's going to be a beast. Mm-hmm. That Metro is going to be a beast. I mean, we all know what we think of Jersey. They're off to a really good start. Islanders are off to a really good start. The Hurricanes, I just refuse to believe is they're as bad as they showed, in the, especially defensively in their first couple games of the season. You know, the Rangers, I thought, had a really great week. It was interesting. They went in there and they beat teams that were really struggling. Calgary beat them. Edmonton beat them. And then a great game against Vancouver, they beat them in overtime too. I'm not sure what to make of the rest of that division. You know, Philly, I give them a lot of credit, even though they got wiped out by Anaheim the other day. I give Philly a lot of credit. You know, Washington is now above 500, which I wouldn't have believed earlier in the week. I think Columbus is still trying to find their footing. And Pittsburgh, I don't even know what to think about them. But, you know, the one thing I look at is you if you look around the New York Triangle and Carolina, all those teams early on, I think they're going to be just fine. I just don't know what's going to happen after them. I don't know about you, Elliot, but I always wondered how Joe Thornton would announce his retirement. And Joe Thornton announced his retirement in a very Joe Thornton way. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. Did you not think that camera was going to pan down and you were thinking, oh, wondering <laughs> what was actually going to be there? 
That was the biggest surprise to me. Not that he retired, but that the camera didn't pan down to whatever he was wearing or not wearing. A peek inside the brain of Elliot Friedman. Uh, no, I didn't consider that for a second. I was marveling too much at his hat in the video and his Voltarian smile, which I uh, really enjoyed. But Joe Thornton announces that he is officially retiring. So the clock starts for the Hockey Hall of Fame, which now awaits Joe Thornton. Just one of the most sublime players we've ever seen, Elliot. Just one of the best passers we've ever seen. One of the best playmakers uh, we've ever seen. Someone who uh, unfortunately resides in a club that includes like elite level players like Marcel Dion and Gilbert Perrault and uh, Henrik Lundqvist and Jerome McGinley as the best player to never win uh, the Stanley Cup. He was just uh, amongst the elite in the NHL, and it was just such a delight watching this guy, both on and off the ice. Like, just yep. a joy to be around, made every dressing room better, made every dressing room more fun, and just kind of, he was that guy that reminded you that, hey, at the end of all of this, everybody, hockey is fun. Hockey is a sport here, as you are as well. Just a huge Joe Thornton fan. And don't forget, didn't play last year, so he only needs one more year after this one to be eligible for the Hockey Hall of Fame. That will be an epic speech. Yes. You know, there are just some people that you just can't wait to get into the Hockey Hall of Fame. That will be an epic speech. I'm sure we'll talk more about Joe Thornton in the, uh, the sixth all time in NHL games played. There's a few things I think about with Joe Thornton. First of all, great player, just a great, great player, demanding of himself and others, inclusive, fun, a guy who other players love to be around. We've had Mario Ferraro on this pod a couple times. He waxed poetic about what a great guy uh, Thornton was. Uh, but I like the fact that for all of his fun, people talked about, especially as he got older, how demanding he was. And that he could play as long as he did was a testament to that. He didn't demand anything out of anyone else that he wouldn't demand himself. Mm -hmm. Also hilarious guy i heard one story today that i'm gonna have to ask him i don't even know if i can tell it even after i ask him <laughs> but i heard one story that was so crazy and so ridiculous i said when i have the opportunity i'm gonna have to tell him about this okay one business story about him one fun story about him okay the business story was his contract his rookie contract became the template for a lot of basically all of the contracts as they are right now for all the rookies in the NHL. Before he was drafted, it was kind of a different thing where after you got over a certain number of goals, for every goal you got, you got another bonus and another bonus and another bonus. And Harry Sinden, when he got drafted by the Bruins, Joe Thornton, he didn't like that. And basically, his contract was, it was the first one of basically the way the rookie salary scale is done now, with a group of bonuses, as opposed to, you know, one at a time. And so Thornton was a real trendsetter in that particular way. The other one, the story I heard was, during the... Canadian division season. Do you remember when Frederick Anderson went roller skating shirtless in Vancouver? Yeah. Well, the Leafs got investigated for that because it was kind of like a breach of COVID rules. And Thornton was the guy who told Anderson to do it. So basically... He said, why don't you go out and roller skate shirtless in Vancouver? And Anderson said, okay. And it triggered an NHL investigation because it wasn't supposed to happen. And apparently Thornton was the guy who was behind it. And he <laughs> laughed his head off at the whole thing. That's one of the most Joe Thornton stories I've ever heard. Yes. <laughs> and except this other one I yeah. heard, which I can't share yet. But, uh, he, you know, his whole... His whole life was about crazy stuff like that. The other lesson of Joe Thornton as well, 
don't write off rookies that have bad first seasons or bad first two seasons. I mean, you'll remember, Elliot, when he was drafted from the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. First overall, 1997, they had two picks. They also took Sergei Samsonov uh, in that draft as well. And right away it was, we're getting this guy into the NHL. We just had, we're the Boston Bruins. We just took him first overall. We're going to show him to all of our fans. And he had a miserable first season. Yeah, He really, really did. And even the second season started to show a little bit what was going to come with Joe Thornton. But to me, he's... He's the example of don't write rookies off, especially first overall picks. And, you know, there's a certain player in Montreal that people have been really harsh on as a first overall pick as well, uh, who's still finding his way in the NHL. Um, Joe Thornton's going to the Hockey Hall of Fame, and I don't think anybody would have said that if they saw his first season in the NHL. Don't judge young players by their first season. Just don't. NHL is a hard league. It's, it's a really tough league not a development league it's just a tough league it sure is and he had a tough coach that was pat burns and that wasn't easy and it, you know it was never 100 percent right between boston and thornton my first year at hockey night was 0304 and boston had a 3-1 lead over montreal and lost that series in seven games it was the first time that the Canadians ever won a series coming back down for 3-1. I worked that one with the late Don Whitman and Glenn Healy. And Thornton had no points in seven games, and he had just come back from, I think, broken ribs. And you could tell he was not 100%. And he got traded. It was the next season after the lockout where he got traded after 33 points in 23 games. And at that point in his career... He'd played, I think, 35 playoff games, and he had 18 points. So he was basically half a point a guy in the playoffs. And then the next season, which was the year after the lockout, they traded him after 33 points in the first 23 games. Now, the Bruins recovered. They eventually won uh, a Stanley Cup, and Thornton would go on to have a great career in San Jose. But I've always wondered, you know, what would have happened if the, if the Bruins had showed more patience there? Did Thornton need to go somewhere that was a little quieter to get himself going? And, of course, he won the Hart Trophy that year because he had 92 points in 58 games in San Jose. Did he really need that, or could he have thrived still in Boston? I guess we'll never find the answer. It worked out for them, and it worked out for him. But I have always wondered, if Thornton doesn't get traded, does he become just as dominant Hmm. if the Bruins give him time. And then imagine it, Jeff, down the middle, they could have had, I mean, Krejci is phenomenal, but Oof. Thornton and Bergeron won two, and maybe Krejci is your number three center. I don't know. But imagine what the Bruins would have had if he stayed. Pile up the cups. Just pile, pile up. Do they the win more cups. than one? Well, yes. Yes, I would imagine so. Here's the other uh, alternative universe of Joe Thornton. How is the NHL world different if, uh, I remember one of the nights that I was working uh, Hockey Central with Mike Keenan, uh, we went out for a drink after, and one of the things that he told me when he was managing the Florida Panthers was um, they tried to get Joe Thornton from Boston, and the deal that Mike had in place was Thornton for Roberto Luongo one for one. But Florida's when would that been have been? Two oh five oh six. When Keenan was managing the Florida Panthers, but the Panthers owner didn't want to take money back. Mm. How different is it if Roberto Luongo is the netminder for the Boston Bruins and Joe Thornton is playing with the Florida Panthers? Berkey always said that he got wind of the deal with the Sharks not long before it happened, and he called the Bruins, Michael Connell and said, you can have almost anyone from this list. Just tell I us. Think, I think yeah, I think he and mentioned he, to me, he, he had like, there was like five or six players that you couldn't touch, but anybody else you could from that, from that roster. Something like that. 
Yeah. Berkey's stories kind of change over time. So the, the truth is somewhere in, in the middle. <laughs> but he definitely did do that. But the Bruins told him it was too far along. It's done. Wild. Uh, congratulations uh, to Joe Thornton on an absolutely wonderful NHL career. Listen to the 32 Thoughts podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Okay, Elliot, tragedy in the hockey world over the weekend. Um, first of all, we offer our, our condolences to the family and the friends of Adam Johnson. Our condolences to the Nottingham Panthers, um, the EIHL as well. Hockey fans in England, hockey fans all over the world, uh, whether it's Pittsburgh Penguins, Ontario Reign, wherever um, Adam Johnson played hockey, um, passed away after getting slashed in the neck uh, in a game Saturday against Sheffield Elliott. First of all, it's it's awful. And I saw the video once and it's it's horrible. I wouldn't recommend anybody do that. All the best to Adam's friends and relatives family. It's terrible. And there's not much else you can really say. Uh, I also wanted to mention Matt Petgrave too, the other player who was involved in the collision. I hope he's getting uh, help, the help he needs uh, because I can only imagine, even though he did nothing wrong and he's not at fault, I can only imagine the guilt that you must feel. I know if that was me, how I would feel. So I hope he's getting the proper care that he's going to need too. Providence, which is the American Hockey League team of the Boston Bruins, had a number of players uh, apparently, who were wearing neck protection on Sunday when they played their American Hockey League game. And I understand why, too, because earlier this week, a player they would all know very well, Jacob Lauko, was also cut by a skate blade near his eye and was thankfully okay. I mean, Jeff, you're around uh, hockey players a lot more than me. Your kids play, my son doesn't. The sharpening and the changing of the blades and just the edges that are put on these things are more honed than ever before. Basically, people are skating with knives out there. And, you know, one of the things that's been talked about is making the neck guards mandatory. In the last couple of years, we've had some skate cuts on the wrist or Vander Kane had one and... The league has worked hard. Rod Pasma in the league office is one of the people who's worked hardest at it, is getting players to be more comfortable with the idea of wearing the wrist guards. And now there's going to be a lot of talk about neck guards. The number one thing you have to do is you have to make it mandatory at the youth levels. The best way to change the sport is to have the kids do it so as they go up in hockey, it will become normal for them. It won't be weird. It won't feel weird. It won't be something they're asked to do later. It's just something that they get used to from the moment they start playing or it's when they're young in their lives and it just becomes another piece of your skin or your uniform on the ice. The NHL cannot mandate equipment. The players have to agree to it. And at this point in time, the players have not agreed to mandating cut-resistant equipment on the wrist or around the neck or anywhere else. You know, years ago, there have been teams that wanted to mandate, the Calgary Flames were one, they wanted to mandate shot blockers on players' skates. And they were told, you cannot do that. The players have a say on the equipment they wear. Now, one of the things I heard today, because I was asking around, is it wasn't until a couple of years ago that the players were even comfortable with the quality of the kind of thicker or cut-resistant protection that has been available. There is definitely a feeling among the players that they're more comfortable wearing this stuff than they used to be. But still, at the end of the day, it's a player's choice, and the NHL cannot just mandate the players have to wear that. Everything, helmets, visors, helmets and warm-ups, everything, equipment, has to be negotiated 
with the players? There's a couple of things. One, um, neck guards at my kids' level, at a, a 2012 and a, a 2010 as well, um, they are mandated. You have you do have to wear neck protection. Um, there are some that wear very tiny neck guards, and I kind of look at them and say, geez, I'm not really sure what that is ultimately protecting. Um, my kids use um, cut-resistant technology. I don't mind plugging the plug in the group. I'm not paid by them. We, we buy these compression shirts, um, cut resistance, a company by the name of Duster. Um, and they do great, um, compression shirts, cut resistant compression shirts, extra padding around the wrists. And it's really well protected around the neck as well. Um, and I think we've all thought about, okay, what about the national hockey league? Because that's the lead. That's what everybody watches and that's what everybody follows. And we've seen, horrible scenes we've all seen the clint malarchuk steve tuttle situation and thankfully jim pizzatelli um bless that man was able to save clint malarchuk's life um richard zednick um was another one uh, as well um and i just can't help but thinking to myself that i know players will want to push back on this and this is our choice and we want to feel as comfortable as possible and i understand that but what i kept thinking about elliot and like you i, I watched the video once and i'm i, I don't encourage anybody to watch don't it. do it's, it don't do it but the what i thought of was and i had some some dms and some tweets from people that were there like and a lot of these people are going to need help themselves to deal with what they just saw Yes. And all I could think about, Elliot, I thought about a lot of things. I thought about, you know, Adam Johnson and, and his family and friends and um, his team and, you know, the entire league. And I, I did think a lot about Matt Petgrave as well. I used to go down the street and watch him play for the Oshawa Generals and what he's now carrying and what he's going to carry for a long time um, is not fair. And I really hope that Matt Petgrave can can find a lot of support and can find peace and one thing that I kept thinking about, Elliot, was do fans want to see this? And the answer is no. Even though it's a freak accident, it's something that can be mitigated. It's something that can be protected. No one comes to see this. There have been injuries from body checks. There's been a death from you know Bill Masterton hitting his head on the ice. But I look at this from a fan perspective as well. I don't know that the league wants this. Not that it's deliberate because it's not, but doesn't want in any way, shape, or form even the chance that this might happen in one of their games. And I hope that players seriously give that a think as well. From the fans' point of view, because I think a lot about those fans that are at that Sheffield-Nottingham game that watch this in absolute horror. And that's going to haunt them for the rest of their lives. And I don't think any league wants that. I don't think any fan wants that. And I hope that somewhere in all of this conversation, we can put those people who had to see this live and what they're going to go through in their life right now as part of this conversation. It may feel to the players like it's just their decision that you can't tell me what to wear and i understand that but people had to watch what happened to adam johnson and those people are going to need a lot of help You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously, it doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. 
You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. All right, welcome back to the podcast. We're going to get to the uh, the thought line here in a couple of moments, the Montana's thought line. But first, the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, close but no cigar. Almost beat the New York Rangers. But, Elliot, no one beats the New York Rangers these days. But really exciting game Saturday night nonetheless. Uh, your thoughts on the Canucks before we get to the thought line? First of all, I'd recommend people watch uh, Rick Tockett and Scott Oak from after hours it was excellent i watched a chunk of it and then i watched all of it it was a a fantastic television i don't often put fantastic television and scott oak in the same sentence except when i say scott oak is not fantastic television but it was on, on this particular night it was really good i have to say this if vancouver can get some depth scoring here because their star players have been excellent. Their mm-hmm. goaltending has been very good. Uh, Demko, obviously, and DeSmith, too. But if they can get some depth scoring, I am really curious to see where this is going to go here. Hmm. They have a division where Vegas is really good. And you know we're, we'll see if Edmonton is really uh, off the mat here. But if this is the way their best players are going to play this year, Vancouver has a chance to be a real surprise team. It's very clear they've bought into what Talkit wants them to do. Uh, I still think they are trying to add defensemen. There's been so much weird stuff that's been happening in the league this year that it's kind of tough to keep an eye at times on what's happening in the trade market. But I don't think Vancouver has given up at all on trying to move an excess forward for a D. But if mm-hmm. the Canucks can just get some depth scoring, I think they've got a shot to do some interesting things. So they need like a Connor Garland type, one of these types. Of players. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny <laughs> to say that. I was, I was thinking the same thing, actually. Uh, talk about late bloomers. Uh, this is some of the best hockey we've seen JT Miller play, by the way. We yeah, don't talk a lot r- about really good when it comes to Vancouver, but JT Miller's been excellent. <laughs> Okay, time now for the Montana's Thought Line, Montana's Barbecue and Bar, Canada's home for barbecue. Elliot, tagline, please. Try the ribs. And those deep-fried pickles. 32 thoughts at sportsnet.ca, 1-833-311-3232. 32 thoughts at sportsnet.ca, 1-833-311-3232. This comes to us from Eddie in Ottawa. I have a quick question regarding the league and its action on players gambling inside the facility. We've heard multiple stories of players putting money on the board for specific games or playing poker and other card games on team planes, and a lot of the mentioned money is involved in those games. What? What's the difference between gambling with teammates on the plane or placing a non-hockey-related parlay in the practice facility, for example, and why is one frowned upon but not the other? And thank you. Try the deep-fried pickles. Jeff is right. They're good. Oh, Thank you very much, Eddie. It's a... Man of taste right there. Look, I think that one thing I would just say to Eddie is, I don't know that in the NHL, placing a parlay is illegal. It can be in the NFL. Like in the NFL, you cannot bet legally from a team facility. You can't do it. It's in the rules and a player got suspended six games this year for it, although it was later reduced to four. In the NHL, like, first of all, Jeff, I got to tell you, someone I know heard your thing about, does this mean money on the board can't happen? And they they said to me, is he insane? And my answer was, yes, he is insane. He hang couldn't on, how believe long is this you person, even suggested hang on. that. How how long has this person listened to the podcast? Are they new? Yeah. This, yeah. this isn't like this podcast has been around for longer than five minutes. This is, this yeah. is you me. You come by. up with some crazy stuff, and this was the latest one. Like, Look, money on the board, like, Basically, what it comes down to is, in hockey, it was don't bet on hockey, okay? Now, this Pinto thing here, here's the challenge with the whole Pinto thing, and we talked a lot about it the other day. There's what I believe to be true and what 
is what I can prove to be true. What you believe and what you prove are two completely different things. Are there people out there who believe Shane Pinto gave access to his account to people who bet on hockey? Yes, there are people who believe that. But can we prove it's true? As I sit here in my hotel room, in my long underwear, I cannot prove that. I cannot prove that to be true. Okay. So basically, what's happened is, as we said on Friday, players have been calling their agents, the players' association, people in their organization, their general managers, the league. What can we do, and what can we not do? And as we talked about on Saturday night. They're telling the players this. And one thing that's supposed to be set up are Zoom calls Monday to Wednesday where players can get on and basically be told, don't do this. And, you know, they've basically said there's, I'm sure there's more, but I found out six things that they basically told them. Number one, don't share your account with anyone. Don't place bets with third parties. Like, don't give money to anybody else or you know, tell someone else, put this bet for me. Uh, Prop bets will be treated as betting on games. So you say, oh, I'm not betting on a game, but I'm going to bet on, say, Austin Matthews over three and a half shots. That's not good either. That's going to get you in trouble. This is a big one. Don't joke about odds with friends. One of the things I've heard is that there have been players in the league who they'll get a buddy texting them saying, hey, Jeff, there's an over under you tonight. Uh, two goals. You're plus a thousand to score two goals. Ha 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 ha. You're not supposed like if someone does that to you, you're supposed to tell them to get the freak out of there and don't do that. Because one of the things I've heard is if the league investigates you for this stuff, they can demand your phone. And if you say no, you can't say no. You, as part of the investigation, things like your phone because of some of the text messages you can send, you have to show it. So don't joke about stuff with friends. This is another big one. Don't share inside information or injury information, and don't bet illegally with, like, say, a bookmaker or anything like that. Now, again, I'm going to stress, just because these things are being told to players doesn't mean that's what Pinto did. But these are all the kinds of things that players are being told about. Don't do this stuff. There is a confidential agreement around what happened with Pinto. So it's difficult to tell exactly. But I don't think it was one thing. I think there were a couple of things. That's what I believe right now as of Sunday night, Jeff. I don't think it was one thing that pissed off the league. I think it was a couple of things. And that's why it ended up being 41 games. Oh, and one other thing I wanted to mention here. You know, I ran into Doug Waite this weekend. Uh, Doug Waite obviously was going into the Oilers Hall of Fame on Thursday night, and he was here for the game on Legendary number 39. Yes, Doug Waite. And Doug Waite obviously spent a lot of time on Long Island, and Shane Pinto is from Long Island. And one thing about Waite is he went into a really passionate We had a really passionate conversation about it. And he said, I hope that kid gets a clean slate. He's taking a big price uh, and I hope he gets a clean slate. And I said, you know, I I think as long as he's remorseful about it, which he has been and doesn't do it again, then, you know, I I think he will. But Waite was very, very passionate in feeling that. Mm. And some of that is is part of the whole conversation that some things have said. There's so much gambling around Mm -hmm. that, He's been made an example of, and he hopes he gets a chance to show that he's deserves a fresh shot. We did know that the first person who did anything untowards or across the line was going to be the example, though. Like, did you not feel that all along? Like, there needed to be a hammer established early. Um, but I'm with you. I, I think if there's you know remorse shown and you don't do it again, we all understand the score, and we know that he's being made an example of. Um, I'll tell you this, uh, and I want to get to a voicemail here in a couple of seconds, Elliot, but this email made my weekend. Hi, Jeff and Elliot. Thanks for crediting my grandmother, Elizabeth Graham, correctly as the first recorded person to wear a hockey mask in a game. The story has become a bit twisted over the years. See, here's what I love. 
She had not had any dental work. She was concerned about the amount of money that her father had spent on sending her to university, and she wanted to ensure that he wouldn't have any further expenses should she take a puck to the mouth. Now pause on that for a second. The story has always been that Elizabeth Graham put the mask on because she had dental work done and she didn't want to get her teeth mangled um, anymore. So Elizabeth McWilliam, the granddaughter of Elizabeth Graham, goes on the record to correct it here on the podcast. This is now a hockey history podcast, Elliot. Did you know that? Well, first of all, I have to say I'm not surprised that in telling that story, you completely butchered it and got it wrong. I would well, like to say more. that for the record. Yes, there, 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 there is more because now, <laughs> now that I mean, this, this continues, um, this has gone. Well, I mean, what you do is journalism. There's a saying that you know journalism is fast history and history is slow journalism. So right now we're doing slow journalism, i.e., history. Um, so it was not dental work. She just didn't want her dad to fork out any more money. So there's a correction. She was a strong woman with an amazing sense of humor and a loud laugh. She would be amazed that her actions back then were being discussed on a podcast in 2023. God, I love that. Thanks for the mention. Always a thrill for our family to hear her discussed and referenced in this way. Sincerely, Elizabeth McWilliam. Elliot, my weekend made with that one yeah it's a nice that's a nice message and uh you know our pleasure elizabeth i'm glad that it brings your family some fun because that's what this podcast is supposed to be is fun so i'm i'm happy you guys got a kick out of it and i'm really happy for you that you know a hundred years later your grandmother (laughs) is still getting mentioned for For being a trailblazer pretty awesome I love it. Okay, let's finish up with a voicemail here. This is Gerard. Hey, I'm watching a wild game right now, and the local commentator noted that uh, the great defender Jonas Brodeen has been playing the last eight years or so with Matt Dumba almost exclusively. I'm curious if you guys know of any other defensive pairs that have had, uh, you know, a long history with one another, guys that really played, you know, a big, big portion of their careers with one another. Uh, thanks. What are you thinking? This usually is more up your alley. So the obvious one for historians will be uh, Doug Harvey and Tom Johnson, who were together for eight years. And seven of those years, Doug Harvey won the Norris. And one of those years, Tom Johnson won the Norris. Find me a pair, Elliot, that can boast that. Now, that takes us back to the the 50s and 60s. But uh, for historians... That's going to be the obvious one. But I mean, listen, you and I grew up in the 70s and was there a better pair? And here come the Bobby Orr fans screaming. But was there a better pair than Larry Robinson and Serge Savard? They were yes, eat. that would be another one. Both Hall of Famers, great, great players. Didn't win the Norris like Johnson and Harvey did, but a phenomenal, phenomenal players. Uh, you know, other ones I would think of, Suter and Weber. Oh, yeah. Nashville. Yeah. Yep. It is kind of weird that neither one of them ever won a Norris. I wonder, you know what? I always wondered, one, um, uh, about uh, vote splitting, and two, that they were in Nashville. And if that act were in New York or Philadelphia or Los Angeles or Chicago or Toronto or Calgary or wherever, that it would have been a different story. There certainly would be a feeling in Nashville that that's the case. Yes, I, I know. I, I heard that from time to time. Um, vote splitting could be a good answer too. I mean, Pronger Niedermeyer, that didn't last a ton of time. You know, in New Jersey, Niedermeyer played a lot with Danico and Stevens would play a lot with Rafalski. And those were both dynamite pairs. But Niedermeyer Pronger, remember when the Ducks won the Stanley Cup, they basically did it with those two and Francis Boschman playing a ton. Yeah. And a bunch of other really good depth players rotating around them. But they were fantastic pairs. I remember but the, a, Joe DePenta, Kent Huskins, Rick Jackman. Like, yes. Ricky went deep into his blue line for yes. that cup, eh? But they Ooh. were all players who accepted their roles, right? Yeah. yeah they, they and they understood that that was the way it was going to be, and it was not a problem. I mean, Doughty Muzzin was a good pair, but I don't think oh, it would yeah. be as long. And, you know, the other one I always used to laugh at was there was a joke in Detroit. Who was the Red Wings' second best player? 
Oh, whoever was playing with Lidstrom. Yes, whoever played with Lidstrom. <laughs> and he played with Rafalski for a little bit, and, and they were so great good. together, but it didn't last that long. Yeah. But th those would be some of the great pairs well, hang on. I hang would on, let think me of. Let me, let me throw one at you. Who did you just see this weekend? Which famous defenseman? One of the best of all time. Paul, oh, Coffee Hottie. That's a great one. That is a great one. And the great thing about that is that when Paul Coffee got his number retired, they put Charlie Huddy on the ice to throw one more pass to him. And then Coffee skated down the ice and scored. So good. So many great memories. Um, okay. Thanks for all the uh, the emails and the voicemails as well. The Montana's Thought Line, always open uh, at 32thoughts at sportsnet.ca, 1 833 311 Elliot's going to party with Chad Kruger right now. No. He has long John. Do you think that guy is going to want to hang around with me? Yeah, I think he looks at you and says, look at that Elliot Friedman. Every Friday he has two Saturdays. Let's go. <laughs> no? No? Am I wrong on that one? Uh, as a matter no? of fact, I got to tell you something. There are probably, I, I don't know how many people there are. What's the population of Edmonton? I'm going to check this right now. I'm going to Google this. This is good podcasting. I'm going to check the population. Okay. The population of Edmonton as of 2017 was just under a million people. Mm -hmm. I bet you there are a million people that they would rather get to than me <laughs> to go out with them tonight. I bet you they, I bet you if I was the last person in Edmonton, oh, they man. would say, I'm going to leave. We're going to leave the city before we hang out with you. Let's hit a break so you can get to the city. Uh, finish up the podcast in a moment. Ah, Elliot, yet another start to another week. Now, other than the 32 Thoughts podcast, there's eh, not much else really to look forward to. Jeff, you are forgetting about Montana's Daily Deals. Their chicken wings are double-dusted in-house, cooked to a golden crispy finish, and they're half price on Mondays. Uh, half price? Half price every Monday and sauced however you like them. Well then, head on down to Montana's Barbecue and Bar for half price wings every Monday. The only other thing exciting about Mondays. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. Okay, Elliot, to wrap up the podcast today, I'm going to roll out a couple of things at you. I'm just going to throw a couple of things at you and see which one resonates the most with you. Ukapakalukan and the Buffalo Sabres find their man in net. Frank Vitrano now has nine goals. And against the Philadelphia Flyers, he scored three goals three different ways. Power play, even strength, and short-handed. Also, want to throw your way. The San Jose Sharks have only nine goals in nine games, Elliot Friedman, and I don't think that's very good. And Wes McCauley had a very unique way of announcing too many men on the ice. He said, six players on the ice. We're just making stuff up now at this point in the NHL. Any of these things resonate with you, or is there something you'd like to freeze? Maybe you want to mention Thomas Placanitz calling it a career. I don't know. Go for it. Well, I would say this, when it comes to Wes McCauley freestyling like that, he'll make a great podcaster. Yes. How many Boston University games with Macklin Celebrini do you think the <laughs> San Jose Sharks are going to be scouting? Or if you're Macklin Celebrini, how many times have you asked yourself how you look in teal? I mean, look. I don't know that San Jose expected this. I can't imagine from what I heard that this is really what they wanted, but this is where they are now. And if this gets them a player like Celebrini or a player like Cole Iserman, maybe it's worth it, but it's hard. Like You can't tell me a guy as competitive as Mike Greer or a guy as competitive as David Quinn For sure. is going to enjoy going through this this year because it's – it's hard. Like losing like this, it sucks. It's it's really hard. I was really happy for Lukanen. He's the third guy in Buffalo that got a chance to start. Yeah. And now it's gonna be it's gonna be him and Levi now with Comrie out. And what this says to me is that Lukanen's saying, Bring it on. Hundred percent. I, I want this competition. Hundred percent. Hundred you yeah. remember what he you remember what he said after the first win. Eh, it's not exactly the most ideal situation. 
Here's a guy that hasn't played in how long? And he goes in there, and even though they probably would have liked him to shut the door a little tighter in the third period against the Ottawa Senators, still played a really good game, and then does it again against the Avalanche. I'm I'm happy for Lukanen. Oh, speaking of netminders, you have a quick thought on Mark Andre Fleury stopping Evgeny Kuznetsov in the slow-moving shootout? Not really. I I think this is all entertainment. Kuznetsov's trying to score. I love. You it. know, I was happy. I was really happy. Kale McCarr was okay. That was the thing I was thinking about. And, you know, look, Kyle Pozo's not dirty, not a dirty player. Nope. Just got to remind people, I, I think it's kind of your responsibility. If a guy's going in, even though McCarr said he wasn't going in as well as he could have, it's still Kale McCarr. Just got to remember, keep your hands and stick off guys who are going in like that. Good advice uh, for hockey players everywhere as we uh, wrap up the podcast. We will uh, join you once again on Friday morning. In the meantime, enjoy the action. If you went to the Heritage Classic, um, hope you enjoyed yourself. If you're an Oilers fan, if you're a Calgary Flames fan, the questions continue. Go party with your buddy Chad. Bye, everybody. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is... People will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously, it doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host.